now, chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. But every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and there and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of the conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for authorities are, are ministries of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all who is owed to them taxes to them. Taxes are owed to revenue to them. Revenue is owed. Respect to them. Respect is owed. Honor to honor is owed. Did you say 311? That's too sad. So, be subject to the governing authorities because the God has instituted, has has uh, uh, organized there to be government. God wants there to be government. He doesn't want chaos. He doesn't support anarchy. And, and so God establishes government. And God gives government a specific role. If you oppose the government, you're opposing the ordinance of God. That is, when I say oppose, I mean if you resist, you rebel against the laws and the constituted authorities. Because the point of God having government is for them to punish evil and promote good. Um, it's a minister of God to you for good. If you do what is evil, be afraid, for it's not bear the sword for nothing. For it's a minister of God and avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. And it's interesting here. He's saying, don't take revenge, leave room for the wrath of God. The government is an agent of God to bring wrath upon the evildoer. One of the ways in which God punishes evil is through government. Through God, he ordained government. That's part of what he intended is that there be an institution on earth to punish evildoers. So when the government does that, it is not taking matters into its own hands and defying the Lord. But it's fulfilling the mission God gave the government, which is to, to, to be, they're delegated by God to punish those who, who are wicked. They, he says the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. I think he's suggesting that the government uh, has the right to punish even in, in capital punishment. Now, that's a hard thing for some people to swallow in Brazil, who the whole culture does not believe in capital punishment at all. It's hard for us to believe things that are countercultural. You see that everywhere. Not so much counter our culture, so it's a little easier for us to swallow, but I do believe that's what he's saying. Does not bear the sword for nothing. It's a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath. Brings wrath even by using the sword. And so if you defy the government, you'll be punished. And uh, so obey. And let the government do that work. Now, does that mean that every government is always doing what God wants it to do? Obviously not. We've got all kinds of Bible examples where they weren't solved. Pharaoh, 
you know, the Roman emperors. So it doesn't mean that governing authorities always fulfill correctly their mission, but they have that mission, and that's God's design and purpose for them. God does act in the kingdoms of men and brings down, ultimately, wicked rulers and raises up righteous ones. That doesn't mean any given ruler is righteous, obviously, but God works to promote principles of justice and righteousness. What that means for us, practically, is that we obey the laws, we obey the, the government, we obey the police, you know, those who are constituted authorities. We're not rebels. We're not, uh, well, you can't, you can't tell me what to do, you know, or anything like that. We understand that government is ordained by God. We submit to even unjust, immoral governments. Paul wrote this when the Roman Empire was the government. And the Roman emperors were uh, not necessarily real upstanding people. I believe he wrote this when Nero was the emperor. But he still said to submit. So we submit even to government, governing officials, that don't always follow biblical principles. We pay taxes and whatever kinds of <coughs> customs and so forth that there are. Um, we, we show proper respect and honor. I don't think that means that we don't speak out against wicked governments. The prophets did that. John the Baptist did that. Even Jesus did that. But I do think there's a certain kind of respect and obedience that is owed to the government because God established it. Um, I don't believe this is promoting some kind of a nationalistic spirit. I think we struggle with that sometimes. I think this is just saying governments, all governments, are established by God. We should submit to them. Not that we necessarily are saying they're always right, or we agree with them in everything, uh, but, but that we are not rebels. We submit. So, if some other country took over the U.S., we would submit to the governing powers that existed in that country. If we became a communist country, if we became a dictatorship, you know, it's not just democracies. Uh, you know, we, we, we are submissive people. We're not going to be rebels. We're not going to be revolutionaries. So there's a lot of challenges in that, obviously. There's a lot of... You talk about some subjects, and, and they tend to incite strong emotions, and strong feelings. And uh, I know in Brazil, you know, which is where I've spent the most time other than the U.S., you know, they had elections just a couple of years ago, a year ago, whatever. And you nearly split one of the churches. Because they had very divergent views. There were some that were strongly on the left, some that were strongly on the right. And they, they battled back and forth in that congregation. Brethren have tended to do better, I think, in the U.S. generally, with keeping our political views to ourselves. And uh, recognizing that we don't want to hurt relationships with our brethren because we disagree politically. But I do think these things are hard for us. And trying to have patience with one another, and trying to keep our mindset what the Bible teaches, as opposed to what we've been provoked to feel, uh, is, is helpful. But thoughts and comments, Peter. I don't understand Jesus as being a righteous rebel. I believe he submitted to the government as well. Now, we obey God rather than man. So if the government 
prohibits us from assembling to worship God. We assemble to worship God because that's what's right. God put the government in charge. So God is over the government. We submit to God as the priority. And then consistent with that, we submit to government. Jason. Yeah, I think Daniel is a really good example of that. You see him uh, being taken into captivity to a foreign nation, and still he was respectful, but he also was standing firm in his beliefs. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down to that image, even though it was Nebuchadnezzar's decree. I believe they were submissive to other decrees that they could submit to and, and not be uh, and violating what God said. Daniel, he let them change his name. He educated the culture and the language of the Chaldeans. But when it came to that food that was wrong for him to eat, he wouldn't eat it. So we don't ever violate what God says, but we do submit to everything we can submit to without disobeying God. Ben. This makes me think of the Jewish zealots and specifically Simon the Zealot who followed Christ and they would have had to submit to this authority of the government even though they would have hated that. Yes, yes. Simon was a professional terrorist apparently and was converted to uh, Jesus became a disciple. Uh, sometimes sometimes we kind of uh, have an admiration for rebels. You know, and I don't think that's appropriate. I think, uh, I think if we're in a situation where people are rebelling, we don't actively seek to overthrow the government. We may, we may be thankful when God sees to it that the government is overthrown. But I think we're not the ones doing it. Joe? Romans 12, 2 helps us to redefine patriotism and citizenship. Yeah, yeah. The truth is, I'm really not so much an American citizen. I'm a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. Uh, and, and the more we understand that, you know, when we understand that God is not the special God of one country, it'll help us. We need to really focus on our heavenly allegiance. And that affects then how we view everything else in this life. Awesome. I think back to Daniel, you know, Daniel 1, 8, there he resolved that he would, would not defile himself. You know, when, when the Babylonians took over, they didn't say, pack up all your, your religious apparel, pack up the things that will remind you of your nation. It tells me that Daniel had God and God's purposes so deeply ingrained in everything that he did that he knew it. And, you know, it speaks volumes to us, you mentioned yesterday, you know, that accessibility that we have to God's word. How much do we have God's word on our minds and hearts that if the government did overthrow us and we didn't have religious freedom and we had to, to worship in sewers as other nations do? Are we resolved and do we have the knowledge of God to be able to do that? Yeah, we have been blessed for a long time in this country not to really have active religious persecution against us by, by, by the government. But there's no guarantees that will continue. For many people in the world today and for many eras in the world's history, there has been serious governmental persecution. We could face that. And it is a good thing to be ready for it. Be, be always prepared to be courageous and do what's right regardless of the consequences. Amen. Zach. Going along with that also, I think it's important to... Remember, kind of going back to Romans 1 and seeing Paul's love and how much he prayed for other brethren, even though he hadn't met, he hadn't even um, come to them or met them. 
Um, it's important to pray for other countries as well and their governing governing authorities. I think we focus on our own country too well, even though we have it so well here. There are so many other countries who have it way worse than us. So it's important to remember them. Amen. Yes. We have brethren all over the world. Some of them are in very difficult circumstances, and we should pray for them and care about them and, and uh, seek to help if we can. This was a challenging passage for us Americans. We take great pride in our country. And I came across an article years ago about the pastors, the religious leaders during the Revolutionary War were people who incited, contributed to inciting the Revolutionary War. So I try to think, okay, what would I have done in colonial America as a Christian you know, a pretty unpopular position, you'd be a Tory and you'd be persecuted for political purposes. And so I had to rethink that a lot. That was that was really a challenge. Yeah, that was a thought provoking thing, Jason. I've heard a lot of Christians say, especially regarding, um, like, say, the president, for instance, I'll respect the office, but not the person. Do you have some thoughts on? Whether that's biblical or not? I think there's some truth to that, depending on how people mean that. We do respect the government. We respect the office. We do not necessarily approve of what the person does. Saul was king. I believe David respected Saul as king in the sense that he didn't take vengeance. He could have killed him, and he didn't. I don't think that meant that he approved of everything Saul did. Um... And, and, and you look at the prophets, they spoke against uh, governmental leaders. John the Baptist told Herod he was not proper to be married to Rhodes. You know, it's not that we don't speak or, 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 or promote uh, righteousness. We, we speak against uh, immorality and wickedness, even in high places. But we don't take matters into our own hands. And, and you know, I think there's balance in a lot of things. We should promote righteousness and oppose wickedness. On the other hand, as as God does, as Jesus does, we recognize that we want people to repent and be saved. And so even when we see wicked governmental leaders that we oppose and we speak against, we also would want them to repent and be saved. You know, I think we have to keep those, I think we have to keep the balance. And uh, so I think there's substances in which we respect the office, not necessarily the person. Uh, how about 8 to 10? So this comes back to our theme of loving one another. Don't owe anybody anything except love. Why except love? Because you can't ever pay off that debt. You're always going to owe that. Now when he says owe nothing to anyone, I believe he's saying don't renege on your on your commitments. Pay what you owe. I don't think he's saying you can't borrow money. No, that's a good reason not to borrow money. But he's not saying that's wrong. He's saying, you know, you pay your debts, except here's a debt that you never will be able to repay. 
you know, we always owe love. Uh, that's a debt we, we pay, and yet we always owe. Uh, all other debts are discharged. Maybe we should say something about the owe nothing to anyone. Um, we need to pay our debts. We need to be responsible about that. We need to be honest, have integrity. We probably need to think about that when we're incurring debts. You know, to put yourself in debt when you don't have the resources to pay is uh, really putting yourself in a position to be dishonest. So we need to be careful about that. But we always need to love. And he who loves his neighbors fulfilled the law. Now what he's saying is, God gave all kinds of laws. But, but many of his laws are really just the application of the principle of loving your neighbor. Love kind of sums them all up. It's helpful to have specific ordinances a lot of times because we can't trust ourselves to know how to apply love properly. But if you really look at it, don't commit adultery. Well, that means loving your neighbor. Don't steal. That means loving your neighbor. I mean, that You wouldn't steal from your neighbor if you loved him. You wouldn't commit adultery with his wife if you loved him. You wouldn't murder him if you loved him. And so forth and so on. Uh, so love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. A lot of times people say love and law are kind of against each other. But really, love uses the law to kind of give direction. And, and the law needs love for its inspiration. So really, the thing we must do is, is love in all that that means. We love others. We seek their best. We seek their best in the way God's Word teaches us to because we care about them. We love them. When, when you think about the fact that God loved us first, and you think about how, as he said in Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Then, then we, we have so much love we receive. How can we not love others? I love that parable in Matthew 18. The guy who owed the unpayable debt begged for time. He was just forgiven the debt. Then he wouldn't forgive the guy who owed him a small amount. If God's forgiven me so much, if he's loved me so much, how can I not love those who've done much less against me than I've done against them? So this is really, I think, summing up again and really refocusing on the main thing he's had at this point in the practical part, and that is we need to love one another. That's the thing we've always got to be paying because we'll never discharge it. Thoughts and comments? It's hard to imagine loving the IRS. (laughs) And yet we must love from the standpoint of respect because they are part of the government in which we live. And so by doing that, we are showing love to God. Sure, yeah, we might not love the agency itself, but we love the people who work there, and we respect the fact that we pay taxes. And sometimes, I understand, the government mismanages and spends money it shouldn't and so forth, but sometimes we actually like some of the things the government does with its money. You know, we're not always totally fair about that. I'm glad there are some roads to drive on. And I'm glad that we have some national defense and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I understand government doesn't always do the wisest thing with money. But on the other hand, some of what it does, we're thankful for. We just pay the taxes because that's what God said. But we love the people who work at the IRS. And we love people who, who may wrong us. We love our enemies. That's a challenge. But God loved his enemies. 
If God loved his enemies the way we love ours, where would we be? Not here. Other thoughts? Yes. We need to wake up. 
It's time. The night's almost gone. The day is here. Night represents the sin and the evil. The day represents the truth and the righteousness of the kingdom of God. We're now living in the overlap. We're still in the era of darkness, but the era of light is already dawning. We're kind of uh, kind of in two kingdoms at the same time. But soon, the new era will be here. So we've got to get rid of the deeds of darkness. They're not going to fit with the kingdom of light. We've got to put on the armor of light. He's really trying to get us to see that it's time for us to make the changes we need to make in our lives. God, God, are there some changes you really must make in your life before Jesus comes back, before you die? Some of you know there are. Some of you know specifically things that you must change. And you're going to one of these days. You're hoping to soon. You're planning on it sometime. He's saying, now. This is the time. We can't wait any longer. And he specifically says, let us behave properly as in the day, not in. You know, the Bible often doesn't leave us comfortable in some vague generalities. So he says, not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in drinking and the kind of of partying that goes along with drinking. He says, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. Not in in lust and sexual misbehavior. And you know the plague of our era, the internet. Not looking at stuff we shouldn't be on the internet. And I would suppose that, unfortunately, if I ask about your conduct in the month of December, I would shudder to think how many people would have to honestly raise their hands if they looked at something they shouldn't have been on the internet in the month of December. If you're one of those guys, one of those girls, think about it. He's saying not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. That's not proper. We have to stop that. Period. And we need to turn to the Lord. We need to turn to strong brethren who will hold us accountable. And we need to humble ourselves and do whatever it takes. We'd be better off going to heaven with no internet access than having full access to the web losing our life. So we've got to really take that seriously. Not in strife and jealousy. It's a little bit strange to you that he includes strife and jealousy in this list. I mean, those are bad, but not that bad, right? But he doesn't see it that way. God's classification of sins is different from ours. When we're fighting and quarreling and just, we're, we're, we're just kind of these people who we've always got a chip on our shoulder, there's always some some, something going on, you know, people, we're always kind of fighting, or we're jealous, we're envious, we're, we're resentful of other people's blessings and advantage. How come everybody likes them and not me? You know, those are sins too, that are just as serious. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing, we can't just get rid of the evil. We've got to put on Jesus. We've got to wear him. We've got to live him and make no provision for the flesh in regard to his lust. We must not make sin convenient. We can't give it up the opportunity. We have to kick sin off the doorstep so it doesn't come in the house. And that means we don't do the things that set ourselves up to sin. 
You think about that. You think about the things that you struggle with in, in sin. You think about what things am I doing that kind of make the sin more uh, readily available. We've got to just cut that completely out of our life. We don't we don't involve ourselves in those things. Um, and so so you know it's it's uh, you know it's, it's not accessible. Uh, if, if you're you know, what would you say to somebody who was an alcoholic or who had a drinking problem and they decided to quit, but they were keeping a six pack in the refrigerator just in case? I'd say they're not quitting. And that's true with all the sins we commit. We can't make provision. We can't make it easy. Uh, so, he says, we got to straighten up. Live in the day, not in the night. Um, Paul's concerned about these brethren, giving good exhortations, ones that we need as well. Comments or questions on chapter 13? Yes. Uh, along with this testing revelation, which we don't normally think about, <laughs> some people who are not in the heaven, he said, are cowardly. Yes. And so if they're cowardly about the things that Jesus is doing in that category. Yes, and cowardice is something we don't think about as much as we should. It's a sin that will keep us out of heaven. Got to develop our courage and our backbone. Uh, fate or whatever. And leaders. 
I remember being a, a teenager, and, and sometimes you pick and choose. You say, hey, I, yeah, I'm following the law, I'm following the command, and all of these ones, but there's this one. There's this one that it's okay if once in a while I sin. And, and sometimes it's because you have that mentality. You don't really focus on love. You don't really, sometimes you don't really understand completely what God has done for you. But this whole section, chapter 13, it starts teaching us to be subject to the authority. And some of us could be great on that. Oh yeah, I pay my taxes. I drive under the speed limit. I do all of this. But we didn't see that in picture. We first need to be subject to God in everything. Everything else comes into play. But we really need to love God and be subject to God in everything. But I'm the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Right. interesting. In Galatians chapter 3, it talks about when we're baptized, we're clothed with Christ. And here he commands us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So that makes me think that he's saying, like... <coughs> The decision to put on Christ is an everyday thing. It's not just a one-time thing. Good point, yeah. We continue to put on Christ. Okay, think about chapter 14. We'll introduce this and talk a little bit about it. Um, This section of 